Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. It's interesting, this particular book, as you know, it is one of those um, where you get to see Paul's heart. Philippians is a letter that was not written out of some great need that the people had or some great correction or instruction. It was actually written out of a thank you and a heartfelt relationship that he had with the people of Philippi that had given him a tremendous gift. They had given seemingly beyond their means. They had given from the heart. They had given from from, from their appreciation for being in Christ and him being the one that had led them there. He was writing this from prison. It was one of the prison letters, one of the prison epistles. And so you get this sense of great joy and appreciation that he has, even though his circumstances wasn't something that most people would be joyful in and under. And I know we think of at times of, you know, what he might have been going to through, let's not think that his situation, when we think prison, we think the meals, we think whatever else, we think that this was a different scenario. And it was one that would not bring joy. And yet what we get, one of the things we get from this is that you can have joy in situations and circumstances that most people will see as detrimental. You can actually have joy. And you can encourage others to be joyful even though you are in a situation or a circumstance that doesn't seem joyful. You can still be encouraging. I'm reminded of Joseph that as he was going through, it seemed that it went from bad to worse. And every time he did right, it got worse. Every time he did good, it got worse. And even in his worst, he still helped. He still remained faithful to God. This is interesting because what Paul is encouraging them to do, humanly speaking, doesn't often come from someone in his scenario. And I did this but one thing, and you'll see that later why I entitled this as a subheading, which is not up there. I put preparing for the future. It is it is Paul as he is getting toward the wrap-up. Sometimes I think Paul must have been a black preacher because he said finally, and then he finished chapter 3 and then wrote a whole nother chapter. It's kind of the second finally. You know how we said that was his second or third close? So when I start to close and I say finally, just hang tight. But his finally in verse 1, or, you know, or it could also be said, but further, you know, he gets into what you would think would be the end, but what he was doing was repeating something that he had already said. And that's why you get in verse 1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. What he's saying is because of that whole issue of rejoice, 
One, because he is sending Epaphroditus to them who was sick, who was supposed to be sending this letter, but it was delayed because he was ill. And Paul said, almost to the point of death, I thought my buddy, I thought my friend, I thought my coworker wasn't going to be with y'all, but he was. And so it brought even extra joy, but he tells them rejoice. If you read through the book, you would see this is not the first time he's saying this. It's not the second time. He's repeating that thing throughout. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord. You know, and there's something that's tempted. You already said that. And so he says, for me to write again the same thing to you in this letter is not a cause for hesitation. That's what he means. Something, there isn't anything wrong, but he says, but it is, it's, for me it's good, and for you it's a safeguard. Why is it a safeguard? Because it's a good reminder. It is something that I want to harp on. I want you guys to understand rejoicing as a believer, regardless of your situation, is what God desires. And he says, if I say it five times, I've not said it enough. And many times we'll hear messages or we'll hear things in the Word of God, and here's what we do. Yeah, 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 I heard that. Yeah, 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 I heard that. And, and, and what the Lord is saying through Paul, I know you've heard it, but I want you to hear it again. Yeah, I know you've heard it three or four times, but I want you to hear it again. Why? Because there's a point of emphasis. He is saying for them in the context of this letter, keep being rejoicing. As an individual and as a community, don't stop rejoicing or being filled with joy. But you don't know what's happening in my life. Rejoice in the Lord. You don't know what I've been through. Rejoice in the Lord. You don't know what I'm having to deal with as I look down the line. You don't know the uncertainty that I'm dealing with. Rejoice in the Lord. Because he says what? It's a safeguard for you to keep that ever before you. You ever get to that point at times where it seems like you are reminded within a short period of time of the same thing by the Lord, by different people in different contexts? You might have read the word here, and then you heard something there, and then a friend came and said the same thing, and then someone else reminded you. It's like, Lord, why am I hearing the same thing? Mm, you think there's an emphasis there? He's wanting you to understand a point. And so for us, the context of this is keep rejoicing. But it's interesting that as in chapter 2, he gives us examples of good people to follow as he closes it out. And, and as he wants to focus their attention on good examples, he switched real quick in his command for them to rejoice to watch out for bad examples because those at times that are around you can derail your joy because you let it so he says and it's interesting that he uses it verse 2 look out for the dogs please don't I, this he, he is he is doing this for effect he's not trying to look for people to call dogs he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And so in his command to rejoice, there is a warning that he has given them of what to watch out for because it can derail your joy. And who is he talking about here? These were terms 
that their religious elite, especially the Pharisees and others, used of those that were outside of the Jewish culture and faith. Those that were not considered Jewish, those that were not of the circumcision, that was one of the defining and distinguishing marks for them because of what God had given as a command. For them, ethnically and nationally, if you were not Jewish, you were considered a dog and an evildoer. Understand, he's not writing the Jews. He's writing the Gentiles who would have been considered dogs and evildoers. And then he says, look, he says, look out for, and what he's actually doing is flipping the script on those Jewish leaders who were not, who, who claimed to be followers of Christ, but were telling them that they had to become like them ethnically and nationally in order for them to represent Christ and to be considered a Christian. What he was saying is that you need to look like this culture. You need to look like this group of people. You need to look like this country in order to be considered really Christian. And Paul was saying, man, if that isn't wrong, I don't know what wrong is. But what he did is he told them he flipped it and said, Look out for those who call you dogs and evildoers, but are actually dogs and evildoers themselves. And he does a play on words. He says, who mutilate the flesh. I'm not going to get into the particulars of that particular one, but circumcision involves some cutting of the flesh, right? And so he says, who mutilate, who chop up the flesh, or who think somehow that this, that this human activity actually gains them spiritual identity. Talking to someone here. You think what you do ritualistically actually gives you a leg up on someone else because of what you do, not of who you are. And he tells them, you know what? Them cutting the flesh is like mutilating it it gives them no spiritual value, just like you come into church every Sunday, and yet your heart is as far from God. It's just as useless. Doesn't help you at all before God. Doesn't help me at all. And he tells them, these are the people that think because they do these things, not because of who they are, because I show up, because I attend a class, a study, an event because I help out, because I serve, because I care for the poor, that somehow now I got points with God. And I turn and look down and have no relationship with those that God has called me to be around because understand that the Jews, that the Pharisees, that those that were elite thought that it was because of who they were born into, what they were born into, and what they did that gave them a leg up with God. We got some today that think that you belong to this country. God has a greater view of you than if you belong to another. And it doesn't mean anything to him that you were born here or somewhere else. 
that your ethnicity is whatever, whether it's dominant or non-dominant culture, doesn't matter to him. But it mattered to them. And so what he was encouraging these Greek, these Gentile believers to do was to settle themselves in what actually mattered as they looked to move forward. And I would encourage us that for us, this sets the context for what I do and how I do to move forward. So he says in verse 3, for we are the circumcision. Who is the we? He's talking to the Philippian Gentile believers. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. And when he says confidence in the flesh, what he is saying is that none of what you consider that which makes you high actually makes you high. In other words, you don't depend on anything that you have in this world to put confidence that it actually helps you in the spiritual world. Why is that important? Because understand, although we enjoy great education, although we may enjoy great family pedigree, we may enjoy that we were born on the right side, whatever side that is of the tracks, that, 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 that we were born into the situation that people envy us or not, God says, if those are the things that you think make you special before the Lord, you've put confidence in the flesh and not in him. If you think your education, although I say go get it because God is using that to do something in your life, but if you think your education is giving you a leg up in your Christian faith, here's another one. Many times we think because I've managed my money well and I've done well, I've saved well, I've actually set myself up in a great position, y'all should do the same, that now I have a leg up before the Lord. I am seen as more spiritual. You just manage your finances well, and it will reap some benefits, but it gives you no leg up with God spiritually. He sees you as no better in a relationship with him. Now, because of that discipline, it may lean over and it may spill over into other areas of your life because of your relationship with God. But what he is saying here is you are purely basing your relationship with God and thus your status and your standing in the kingdom on human things. And he said, doesn't work. And so because of that, he says, look, you have no confidence. We're not to have. And if anyone wants to play the one-up game, then he goes through it with them. If, if indeed you think you have a reason to brag and boast, let's start comparing ourselves. Let's have a one-up contest. Paul's going, he said, let's just go there for a second. And then he goes there and he gives a and he, he goes in about his own personal situation and experience, and he gives his He gives why, humanly speaking, I have more in this thing than any of you. And then he goes down. Talks about being circumcised on the eighth day with men. Understand this. When he was talking to Greeks about Jewish pedigree, what he was saying was because of his, you know, his Jewish pedigree is because Christianity, you know, started first with, you know, the Jews and God raising them up and the law. And then, of course, it coming to Christ, who was Jewish, 
humanly speaking, and then, of course, now we have the faith. He was saying this whole thing is coming out of Jewish culture. So if I'm going to speak from a human perspective, let's talk about it. My ethnicity has got it. And he just lays in. And in my ethnicity, I, am at, I was at the top. My parents abided by the law so much and did it the right way that on the eighth day I was circumcised. And he goes on down. He was like, I was a Pharisee. And understand, even though in the scriptures they are not held high, in Jewish culture they were held high. Status. They knew the law. They understood culture. They were accepted by that culture highly. They walked among them as the top. They were revered. Some were even jealous of them because of how they had risen. And so he was saying that I was at the top. But then he says, that meant nothing. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. And the picture he's given here, still bear with me here. The picture he's given is of a ledger. All you accounting and financial types understand this. He's given a ledger and he was like, look, I had all these things in the plus category on my ledger. It was, I was heavy on that, on this side. And then when I was introduced to Christ, the ledger changed. What I thought actually gave me a leg up was actually now a liability. Hear this. See, no one wants to think that the thing that who I am ethnically, that what I've attained, that what I'm reaching for, that my success would ever be a liability. In what world is it a liability? Well, when it comes to what he is getting ready to say about your one thing that he wants you to be able to have as priority in your life, he is not saying drop it. Please, nor is he saying, like we like to say, well, you just need to be more like Christ. And when we say that, we have a particular ethnic way of living out Christ in mind. That's what happens a lot. We have a particular way. That if you live like this, that's, that's Christ-like. No, that's usually culturally-like. But if you live according to the Scriptures, it's Christ-like. And so he says to them, look, all those things that were considered status for me were now switched over into the liability. What happens if on your ledger your liabilities are greater than your assets? You're in trouble. Let that liability be great enough, and you might be declaring bankruptcy. And for many of us, because all we've depended on is those things, humanly speaking, we are spiritually bankrupt. And there's nothing there. And so I look at this, and now he says to them, look, and then he, 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 he leans in ever, I mean, even more. He says, I, indeed, I count everything as loss. 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Hear what he is saying. He's not saying, oh, I count them as things that are just gone. No, that word loss, Minister Ryder know what I'm talking about, probably even more in that Greek. It talks about it is damage. It is that which doesn't benefit me. It is that which actually is causing a liability. Why? Because when you and I have attained and we are trying to put our goal, our number one goal is in Christ, those things become weights because humanly speaking, we want to depend on them. We want them to be what our worth is about. He's not saying get rid of it. He's saying, consider that it could become a liability as you reach to grow in Christ. And are you willing? Paul said, I suffered great loss of those things. Whether he released it or it was snatched from him, it was considered damage. Because in the Jewish community, he who was once high was now sought after to kill. And we know that he ended up being killed for the faith by the very same people that he came and worked among. And so what he was saying is, those things that I once held high. Now, some of you sitting here today, said, so, so, so should I release those things? He said, no, you should hold them loosely. They should not define you. Yes, you use them. Yes, you even enjoy them. Yes, you allow God to continue to cause you to increase. But if at any time that stops, you don't lose your faith. At any time he causes it to be taken. Boy, you were riding high. And the world loved you. You were good at your job. And then all of a sudden, something happened. And man, world and Christ collided. And you lost it all. God, what are you doing? Clarifying your vision. God, what are you doing? What I always do. Why are you allowing this to be taken? Maybe you're suffering loss for the sake of gaining Christ. But I have Christ already. Oh, but he doesn't have all of you. And so with that in mind, he leans into this knowing Christ. That's the one thing, knowing Christ, knowing Christ. And then he gets to verse 10. He says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is really slick. I love to hear how he talks about justification, sanctification, glorification, all in just a series of verses. He just hits you with it. You stand right before God because of what Christ has done in salvation and now justification, you are now made right. 
sanctification. You are constantly growing in Christ, you know, releasing those things which are hindrances, releasing meaning not totally getting rid of them, although some he may have you, but they don't take primary place so that I may gain knowing and growing and looking like Christ. And then lastly, glorification, knowing that one day is going to amount and culminate in something and that me being with him in the resurrection of the dead. And then he gets to the part, and he says that by any means possible, verse 11, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Then he says this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. That is going to be on record the, long, the, 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 the church's longest introduction. Some of y'all took that. He says, not that I have already attained. Attained what? This full grasping of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. I've not fully apprehended or I'm not fully without any fault a, a, a full-fledged obedient to Christ follower of his where I'm flawlessly walking and looking like Christ. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. That's all of us. If, 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 if the brother that wrote this can say, I'm not perfect, how much more you and me? If the brother that wrote this and is getting this from the Lord can say, I've not fully attained, I am still reaching. If he can, what about me and you? For the person that thinks that I've got it all together, I'm good. I don't need much more. I'm okay, God. God says, take a listen here. He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because Christ, because I now belong to Christ, I am constantly pressing, pushing, straining to become more and more like him. Here's the reason why. Not to get him because he's already got me. I think there's an NFL quarterback that just understood and said that when he said, God's got me. God's got you. And because he has you, what are you reaching for? Because he already has you, how are you living? Are you living to get him? Or, or, or are you living because he already has you? Because if you're living to get his approval, that's never going to happen. You are going to be uselessly and frivolously reaching and straying and trying to get his approval when all along he died so that there is no approval. He just has you. And so what he says here, he says, look, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And then brother, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, and that is the title of our message. Actually, in the Greek, it doesn't say I do. They've added that for understanding. The literal meaning is but one thing, exclamation point. It's actually what it says. But one thing. 
And it's interesting. He says, but one thing, but he shares two things under that one thing. The only thing that came to my mind is that's two things. And all I thought, I think in commercials, I thought, not if you bundle. <laughs> that's what I thought. I'm reading this, and he says, that's two things you're going to talk about. Not if you bundle, not if you put them together. And he says this. He says, look, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Understand what he says. In order for me to move forward, there has to be but one thing. Because if there's more than but one thing, guess what you aren't doing? Moving forward. If there's anything else above the combo of the one thing, you are stuck where you are and maybe going backwards. But what's the one thing? He says, forgetting what is behind. Here's where I believe many people sometimes miss it. What is he wanting to forget? Because as you look at the context, what is he wanting to forget? Is he wanting to forget that which was past his his past accomplishments when he was outside of Christ, he's already said that's lost, so he's not talking about that. That's on the liability side of the ledger. I don't count that as a benefit. So what is he talking about? Here's what he's talking about. Any past accomplishments and any growth that I've had in Christ, I don't lean on to make me okay in Christ. Here's what he's saying. What I've done for Christ, I don't let that cause me to relax and say, I don't need to do anything else in Christ. Many of us, we say, I got a testimony. Yeah, your testimony is about 20 years old, and you keep repeating that testimony. You've heard of people say, I got 20 years of experience. I'll say, no, you got one and 19 years of repeating it. And what God is saying to us through Paul here is, listen good. Yes, you had success in your faith and you've grown. And he says, forgetting those things which are behind, I keep straining. That's what pressing means. I keep stretching and reaching. I'm not sitting up here saying, yeah, hey, look, I helped start that church. Hey, I was one who, man, back in the day, you could count me as faithful. Yeah, but how about today? How do we count you? See, you and I aren't relying on what we've done or who we were to define who we are. And what that guards against is complacency. Got a lot of us sitting in church just going, hey, I'm good because I was. Because I used to be. I remember a time when. And God says, how about now? Are you still fervent? Are you still there? He says, forgetting. And look, this is, understand what he says here. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing. So he says, when he says consider, that forgetting is not, oh, I just happened to forget 
what I used to do and what I did to get here. That is a conscious, that word consider is a conscious, deliberate, calculating, and you came to a conclusion. As I think about this past year, that's why I said to you guys, this was when I was like, God, this is hard. Yeah, it is. As I think about this past year and all that God has allowed me to do and all that I have done in him and all that he has used me for, I make a conscious decision to forget that because that's past. And I look forward to what I need to do moving forward. I will say to us this year, however God has used you this year, great. Whatever he's done in your life, hallelujah. However he has caused you to be a blessing, wonderful. But leave it in 2023. And go, now what? Because if who you were in 23, you bring along with you, and you were like, this is 24's experience. No, that's 23's experience. You just want to carry it along as a as a as an entry card to see what kind of Christian I am. And the fine print says in 2023. And God says, what kind of believer will you be in 24? And here's what he says. What is the goal? The goal is understanding is being found in him, knowing him, and looking more like him. That is a three-pronged goal for the believer. And that you don't rest in some event or moment in time that kind of makes you look good as a believer, but you truly lean into who you are every day. And again, he says, I've not obtained it. God is not looking for sinless perfection. He is looking for straining moving forward. You are reaching with everything you have. If you've ever seen a dead heat track race at the end, every last one of them runners aren't there as like, I'm in the top group. Let's just go through together. No, they are. You see the leaning, the straining. Some may even die for it. Why? Because they want to hit that finish line first. Now, although you're not competing against your brother and sister in the faith, the thought is I am stretching and leaning with everything I have that I may reach for and obtain the goal. What's the goal of knowing him more and more, looking like him more and more? Not depending on what I've done to define me, but who I am and what am I reaching for? I like what he says to them. He says, look, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. I look with, I love what he says, first of all, the prize, because he has that race analogy in mind, and they all understood that. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. Number one, it was the direction in which I am living for, heavenward, but is also where the call came from. It didn't come here on earth. It came from heaven, and so you are pointed toward heaven. And so if you think anything down here is going to be the finish line, you've lost your heavenward view. Yes, you've attained and you made it. Praise God. Enjoy it. As a matter of fact, here's what I like as I was thinking through. 
Look, you don't have to, you don't have to be of a particular culture to have a one-up in Christ, whatever that culture is, yours or someone else's. And so what he says is don't put it as your top priority, although he says don't dismiss it because I was the one who allowed you to be born into that culture. I don't dismiss it. I don't get rid of it. I don't throw it away, but I don't put it above Christ. As a matter of fact, Christ is the one who defines how I live in that culture, how I enjoy it, how I represent it, how I demonstrate it, how I love it. I don't have to hate how I was born. I don't have to hate the culture I was born into. Why? Because God was the one who placed me in it. But by placing me in it, it wasn't for the culture's sake. It was for Christ's sake. And thus I can live with ease in that. I can represent it and not trip over people that don't like my representation of culture. That's okay. As long as I'm in Christ first and I rep my culture second, I'm good. And so he says to you and I here, but one thing. What is your but one thing? Are you reaching with everything you got for Christ or becoming like him? as your highest priority, or are there other things that has taken his place? Oh, I'm not saying that you don't stretch and reach for educational excellence, for career excellence, for relational excellence. I'm not saying that you don't reach for those. You do. But you don't reach for those harder than you reach for Christ. It doesn't occupy your life more than Christ does. Because if it does, what you're reaching for is in vain. It's not going to bring you what you want. It's why many people get these things that they've been reaching for and attaining for, and they get it, and they go, that's it. Yo, I was expecting that to be a little bit more. That was anticlimactic. That wasn't quite what I thought it would be. I read a, I read a quote one of my favorite authors, and I remember him just saying, thank God that many of us are not part of the 1% wealthy in this country. He said, because those 1% realize where they are isn't it, and there's nowhere else to go. See, all of us can wonder what it would be like to get there, and we all have our dreams. Shoot, if I was part of that 1%, man, it'd be on. I'd have, I'd do, I'd be. And we dream and we, wow, if I was only. And those that are there say things like Jim Carrey in his book who says, celebrityism and wealth is not what you think it is. You get those who attain I remember Howard Hughes. I know for some of you guys know not Howard Hewitt, Howard Hughes. <laughs> Had to clarify for some of y'all. Rich billionaire and rich guy who ended up dying a recluse and alone because the money did not settle in the way or the fame or the celebrityism or the whatever-ism you put there 
please understand what Paul is telling us is if but one thing isn't to know Christ and to reach for him because he has grasped you, there's some dissatisfaction coming. And then you won't know where to turn. And here's one of the worst things to have happen. To have made it in whatever field that you have and you have dropped Christ along the way and you get there and realize, okay, what's next? And there's no Christ. And then you go, what's next? As I be on to the next big thing and the next big thing. And before you know it, your big thing can no longer be a big thing because there's nothing else big to get. And then what? See, the issue becomes for you and I. That one thing, I can't get into the latter half, but he gives a warning. I would encourage you to read it. Verses 17 through 21. Because he gives a sad picture of those who do not walk according to and reach for and strain with everything they have. I'll just give you a brief. Verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, he says, I tell you crying as I think about it, that they walk as enemies of the cross. He says, I cry thinking about them. Because here's what they don't know. No one ever looks at their end. You only look at the moment. You know, we got people say, live in the moment. I said, no, you better live with your eyes on the end. If all you're doing is living in the moment, you might miss that car to not, not about half a mile down. Live in the moment. And there are many people that have lived in the moment, and the next moment that they didn't live for, they're no longer living. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and that means their appetite what they can consume for themselves, what I desire, what I crave, what I want. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. What do you mean they glory in their shame? Those things which are to their shame because their appetite is leading them uninhibited with no discipline, it should bring you shame. Instead, it's bringing you in your mind glory, not knowing that there's destruction. He says, brings me to tears. What is your one thing? As you get into this new year, if it's not Christ, can I encourage it for him to be you? For him, for, for you, that it is that. But one thing, forgetting the wonderful accomplishments or not leaning on them, not allowing them to be, that's the only thing I did. Can you imagine if I did that? Man, back five years ago, six years ago, when I first got here as pastor, I remember when I, and y'all are like, yeah, but can you live beyond that moment, dude? We're now six years down the road, and you still talking about when you got here. Ain't done a thing since. <laughs> but you talking about when you got here. Can you imagine that? That's like you when you bought, I bought this house five years ago. And people are like, yeah, but you ain't got no furniture in it. 
five years done passed and you haven't done anything to it. Yeah, but I bought it. Wasn't that, wasn't that amazing? It was. And what you doing with it now? What are you doing in the faith now that is causing you to move forward and is causing you to be more like Christ? That is the challenge for 2024. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.